Would you turn in your Bibles this morning uh, to Daniel chapter 2? We'll be reading from verses 30, 13 down to verse 49. Um, and I know that, that we have guests, and, and I think it's just helpful for all of us, even if you've been with us in the first few weeks of the Daniel study, to remember that Daniel has written about and to followers of God who find themselves living as exiles, uh, separated from their true and lasting home, living as exiles under the rule of very ungodly, pagan, harsh government. In Daniel's day and ours, um, exiles were really thought to only have two options as to how they lived. Really just two options. And you can kind of see that in our day, there's two responses to the state or to religion. There's just really kind of two responses or to the culture. Either revolt and resist all the time. So trust no one, just revolt and resist. And I, I get a little concerned, just make sure as we're, as we're studying Daniel, um, because we've, we've not understood how Daniel fits in the redemptive, the, the overall redemptive timeline of what God is doing in his purposes and plans in the earth. And so what we do is we kind of shrink Daniel down to some highlights, you know, uh, kind of like what U.S. This is, this is how old I am. Like USA Today, it was a newspaper. I don't know if it still is. USA Today became a, a welcome newspaper, not because it's it, not like the Wall Street Journal that has little tiny print and a bazillion pages, but um, USA Today was just pictures and just a little bit of narrative, right? And so people like that, you know, they just give me the highlights, just tell me the highlights. Well, we can't read the Bible that way. Uh, the Bible's more than just some highlights. And I think one of our problems in just knowing the highlights is that I think we can think that the story of Daniel because we're, we're familiar with them taking a stand and not bowing down to the, the, the idol um, and, and, and being threatened with the fire. And, you know, we, we know these stands of no compromise, but I think it'd be easy for us to think, so that's how you live 24-7. It's just revolt and resistance all the time. That's not what Daniel's teaching us. The other, the other extreme is to assimilate to the culture, assimilate and just give in to whatever the government and whatever the culture is demanding that we do. Well, that's not the story of the book of Daniel either, is it? The book of Daniel calls us to avoid both extremes and live in a far different way. Daniel calls us to live a life of godliness where God has placed us. So it's God, the reason you live in Midland, Texas is because God put you here. He's placed us where we live, and he placed Daniel in Babylon. And he placed them there, even though they got there because of a military battle, a defeat of the armies of Israel, um, taken, being taken essentially prisoner of war into Babylon. You know why God brought them there? To be a light in the darkness. To be a light in the darkness. To seek the spiritual welfare of the people that were there. So that they too could come to know and serve the one true King of Kings. God calls us to do that by ensuring that our marriages and our parenting display the values of God's kingdom. 
that we pursue excellence in our education and vocation in order to bless those that we work for and that we work with. And why do we want them blessed? We want them blessed spiritually because really we want them to see why we do what we do. Because whatever we're doing in word or deed, we want people to understand as this is our way of glorifying God. This is our way of loving God and loving neighbor. We seek to honor governing authorities and be model citizens because we want to honor God and honor neighbor. Unless, so here we go, unless we are called to disobey to disobey God or to compromise our faith or to compromise our mission for him. And as we're learning in the first six chapters of Daniel, this often puts our lives in what sometimes seem to be impossible situations. It's not easy to live this way. It would be easy to just to revolt and resist all the time, wouldn't it? That'd be easy. Or it would just be easy to assimilate and just give in and just blend in. That'd be easy. God calls us to walk with Him. God calls us to seek just the mission that He came to fulfill. To seek and save the lost wherever He sends us. And it puts us in some very difficult situations that seem impossible, they seem impassable, and may require our willingness to sacrifice our very lives in order to follow and honor the Lord. Well, this morning we're going to find Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in one of those seemingly impossible situations. King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream that frightened him so much that he could not sleep anymore. John Calvin said it was like a hot hot iron was pressed into his skull because he was so bothered by the dream. You know what those sleepless nights are. It feels... It feels torturous, doesn't it? When, when you're not sleeping and you, you wake up and you're having many panic attacks. Welcome to Nebuchadnezzar's world. Fear of the future. Fear of losing control. It seemed to have implications. This dream seemed to have implications about the future of his kingdom. And his response was to ask of other people what was humanly impossible. It was humanly impossible to do what he needed them to do and what he was commanding them to do. And that was, you guys tell me the dream I had and the interpretation. That was never heard of before. The, 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 the mode of the day was, hey, I had this dream. Can you dream interpreters tell me what it means? But Nebuchadnezzar's not doing that. He's saying, you tell, I'm not going to tell you the dream. You tell me the dream. And then you tell me the interpretation. Wow. You ever felt that way? That sometimes people are looking to you to give them only what God can give them? Do you ever do that to people? Do you ever turn to people and ask from them? Specifically, this happens a lot in marriage, spouses, husbands, wives. Do you ever look to the spouse to give you what only God can give you? Well, and here's the deal. And if no one comes up with the dream interpretation, you... The text says, I will tear you limb from limb. That wasn't just a phrase. That wasn't just a colloquial phrase. That's what these kings of that time did. They would torture you to death by progressively cutting off body parts until you died. And then turning their houses into garbage heaps. That's what the impossible situation 
that Daniel faced. And so now let's turn to God and his word and turn to prayer to see how Daniel responded and how we can learn from that response, okay? So this is Daniel chapter 2, beginning in verse 13. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. And then Daniel replied, with prudence and discretion. Well, that's way different than revolt and resist all the time, or assimilate all the time, isn't it? He's, he's responding with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? And then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel, and Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. And then Daniel went to his house, and he made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, the Hebrew names, the the God-given names, you could say, of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. And then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. And then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. And he he answered and he said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise. For you have given me the wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked of you. For you have made known to us the king's matter. And then Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went in and thus said to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. And then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste, and thus said to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was, whose Babylonian name that they assigned to him to try to assimilate him, whose Babylonian name was Belteshazzar, are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But God, I think that's what we're supposed to really kind of, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries and he's made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all of the living, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. 
You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron, partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. And then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom the power and the might and the glory, and into whose hand he has given wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over all of them, you are the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. Some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, but just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay... And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end. And it shall stand forever just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand and that it broke into pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation sure. Well, then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly, your God is God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. For you have been able to reveal this mystery. And then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon, and the chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. And Daniel made a request of the king, and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. Well, Heavenly Father, uh, you who inspired this great text, Would you give the understanding of it to us? 
Lord, we don't want to just know Old Testament history. We want to we want to watch and behold the unfolding of your redemptive plan throughout history and the part we play by your grace in it. So God, take this out of the realm of just USA Today highlights. We, we don't want to treat these, these things like nursery rhymes. Speak powerfully and savingly to us so that we too could stand in your sovereign grace and declare the gospel of Jesus Christ even if it costs us everything. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when was the last time you faced what seemed like an impossible or impassable situation? Not everybody's going through that right now, but there's probably a few of you that maybe you're feeling like you're facing an impossible an impassable situation. And whenever we feel that way, it just seems to cancel hope, doesn't it? It just seems to just put that big red canceled on any hope we have for a bright future. How are you responding right now, if that's you? If that was in the past, how did you respond? Get ready, because all of us are gonna face some more impossible, seemingly, and impassable situations. How about this one? This one may be the wisest question of all. How can you prepare and plan to respond? I think there's a lot that Daniel has to show us today so that we can, that we can respond in faith and trust, not in the wisdom and strength of ourselves or in the wisdom of other people, but in, in the sovereign King of Kings, who knows and controls all things for his glory in redemption. We have so much to learn from the grace God gave to Daniel in his possible situation. The Babylonian wise men had given up in trying to live up to the king's command, and they themselves say that it was impossible. That's what they told them themselves. And they said, you remember what they said? They said that only a god could do what Nebuchadnezzar was asking them to do. And there was no hope for them in that because the gods of the Babylonians were fickle and moody and you had to earn any kind of blessing with them and they were very reluctant to bless. And then they said, and there's no way that any of the gods we know will come near to us to help us. I'm hoping you're hearing some gospel in that as compared to our God, right? There was no hope that could be found in their gods telling them anything and drawing near to rescue them and to save them. But the God that Daniel knew, he was a God of mercy. He was a God who loved to draw near and help and rescue his, per, his people. After all, didn't he draw near to them and speak to them through a burning bush? Didn't he draw near and rescue his people from death through the blood of an innocent lamb at the Passover? Hadn't he appeared as in a pillar of fire or cloud to protect and guide them? Hadn't he parted the Red Sea? Daniel placed his trust in this sovereign and merciful God, which enabled him to have peace 
that goes beyond understanding. Guys, I got to tell you, I'm, there's so much immaturity in my Christian walk. And there are times when I'm worried and I just say, dear God, dear God, can you just please give me peace? As though this, I guess I'm, I guess really what I'm asking for is just this, can you just, can just some little blue light come over me? And could you just help me feel peace? Could you just help me feel peace? God will always base his peace on, on his testimonies. He will always base the peace that is unexplainable in our lives based upon His work for His glory and our good. It's, it's, and that's why in Philippians, it not only says, I mean, sometimes, you know, you think about, you know, Philippians, all of us know the passage or we've heard, don't worry about anything, right? But pray about everything and the peace of God. And some of you could almost say this with me, which goes beyond understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. So I think we so, so yeah, Lord, I want that. That sounds great. Can you just blue mist me into it? Well, yeah, I keep reading. And then he says, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are worthy of praise, i.e. Jesus, think on those things. And the God of peace will be with you. And before all of that, if you really know that passage, you've heard me say this before, I actually misinterpreted it, okay? How did I misinterpret it? Because right before it says, don't worry about anything. Have you ever, come on, be honest. When you've read that, don't, seriously, don't worry about anything. <laughs> Pray about everything. Well, it says right before that, the Lord is near to you. Oh, that makes all the difference in the world, doesn't it? I know it made a difference in my boys' lives when they were afraid of the dark. And it's amazing, they needed a nightlight on in the room unless dad was there. And it somehow dad became the nightlight, right? The Lord is near. So don't worry about anything. Pray about everything, right? So that's where this is going. God, God gives us his word so that we can place our trust in a sovereign and merciful God. A God who delivers from panic and a God who moves us to pray about everything. And that's where we're going to go here. And, and a God who, who lets us even look into the face of death. So whether that's because there's an executioner at your door or because cancer's at your door, he lets us look into the face of death and respond with prudence and dis discretion. Respond with peace and purpose. And how much more should we respond that way having a God who's come near not just in a burning bush or the parted, parted sea, but who's come near to us in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. So let's dig in and find how, what they did and, and how God gave them grace to do it. Here's our main point this morning. When threatened by a situation that seems impossible and a future that is uncertain, trust and obey our sovereign Lord who knows and controls all things for his glory. So here's the first part. And this is going to be now unpacking verses 17 through 24. And to do this, I, I just felt like I need to give you a little bit of an intro to, to this. When we're talking, so we're going to talk about sovereignty, 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 providence, providence, providence. One of the sweetest 
truths of our Christian faith, that God is sovereign and providential. But I think we're short-sighted, guys, in, in, in understanding God's sovereignty. We typically do this with, 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 with our impossible situations, with our unique trials and the things that, we, that God leads us through, to and through. I think what we typically do is we'll, we'll look back maybe at the history, biblical history, and we'll see God was faithful. God was faithful to help his people during their trials and tragedies and temptations. So we hope that God will be faithful in my little personal trial, tragedy, or temptation. We make a mistake when we reduce our lives and our situation to just God helping me with my current problem. That's where we, that's where we start to not really embrace how wonderful the sovereignty of God is. Because it's just become this, we've narrowed it. And I'll be honest with you, I think we make God small in our eyes when we do this. That, that this King of Kings, this God who is moving all of history to magnify Christ and His salvation. That, that's what He's doing, right? But we reduce it all to just give me my best life now. I'm going through a really bad time. God, can you help me have a good time? Can you just, can you just stop the pain? Well, listen, God cares about your pain. But there's something far bigger that God is doing in your life. And the more you see it, the more faith you're going to have. And the more peace you're going to have. And the more purpose you're going to have. It's not just me and God. It's not just God bail me out, beam me out. It's not just that. There's a much bigger providence that God is doing. He is moving from, from the fall of Adam and Eve. Guys, please, if you need to, go back to Genesis 3 today and begin to see that at, at, as quickly as they fell, the gospel was declared. And now all of, all of history is going to have to bow its knee to the coming of the Savior and the purpose of his people to declare the glory of the Savior's name and the salvation that he offers to people. That's the big picture of God's sovereignty. His plan to bring his name glory globally and locally through redeeming a people for himself from every ethnicity on the earth. And his plan is unstoppable. And we need to keep the global glory of God in view when we consider his sovereignty. When we're just looking for a, per, a good personal outcome and we separate our trial from God moving in all of redemptive history to the first coming of Christ, which is what we're going to talk about this morning in Daniel 2. This, this dream was all about the ushering in of, the, of the, the saving kingdom of Christ, not to mention the second coming of Christ. We can't just look for a good personal outcome. We need to trust that God is unstoppably going to bring about His redemptive purposes. God is way bigger than just helping us with our current problem. Daniel knew a God who desired to not only help him with his problems, but to save people from every ethnic group on earth as He deals with us in the problems we have so that the problems we have can display His saving grace. 
his steadfast love. He never lets go of the people that he saves. Daniel did what we should all do when we live for God's glory and we believe in his sovereignty and we, we, we understand that the purpose of history is to bring about the glory of Christ and his redeeming love. And so he did what we should all do when we face an impossible situation. We should gather regularly with believers. And that's what, isn't that what Daniel did? Daniel got together with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but uses here their Hebrew names. He got together with other believers so that they could first, in the midst of this trial, remember why we exist. I mean, don't you need, to, don't, don't you need that reminder? I, I lose, I lose <laughs> this is how, what an immature Christian I am. I lose, I lose sight of why I exist if I have to sit through a stoplight twice. We need to gather regularly with believers who remind us of our true identity in the Lord. And that's why he uses their Hebrew names, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And it means God is gracious. Don't you need to remember that this morning? Who of you felt like, oh, well, God, I'm, I'm having to go through and going through because, you know, I've got to earn God's favor. God doesn't like me as well because I sinned or God likes me better when I don't sin. Anybody here need to remember God is gracious? Anybody need, it means, their names mean God is our help. Does anybody need to remember that God is our help? Anyone need to remember that there is no one like the Lord, so we're not going to look to human beings to give us what only God can give. That's why we gather. We gather to remember we were bought with a price. We are not our own. It was the precious blood of Jesus that forgave us and saved us and, and, and reckoned us righteous in His righteousness and adopted us as children of God. Anybody need that reminder this morning? That was such a weak amen. Yeah, this, you, you guys, isn't everyone in this room needing that reminder? I didn't mean to do that. I'm sorry. <laughs> Okay, amen. Let's just say amen. Okay, listen, uh, that, even this week, I met with Alan and, and we were just sharing our hearts and Paul Tripp is the one I get this, this phrase from, but he said, human beings rarely deal with their struggles according to the facts of the situation. We'd like to think we do, right? Here's the facts. Tripp says this, you don't deal with your problems according to the facts. You deal with your problems according to your interpretation of the facts. So just a goofy illustration is, you know, you're walking into church and somebody that normally you, you know and is kind to you, you say hi to, you do, you do almost like the, the fist bump or the high five and they just walk past you and you, you kind of have to high five yourself, right? It was just like, and then, so, okay. Okay, the fact is they didn't say hi to me. Are you going to deal with the fact and probably think, wow, I wonder what they have on their mind today. I, mean, I should pray for them. How many of us don't go there? How many of us go, I wonder if I hurt their feelings. What did I do wrong? Did I hurt them? You know, maybe they don't like me anymore. I mean, so you see, yeah, it has nothing to do with facts. It has everything to do with the interpretation of the facts. That's why we preach the word. That's why we, that's why we sing the gospel and preach the gospel and remind ourselves of the gospel. Preaching the gospel to ourselves because we don't do well with the facts. 
We need God to help us interpret the facts. And so that's what Daniel does with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're reminded of the character of God. They're reminded of living on the mission for the Lord and reminding them of the word of the Lord. And so verse 18, Daniel calls to them and he specifically prays. This is interesting. He specifically says, seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. And then it goes on to say, so that we don't die. So we've got to get out of our American save my own skin mentality. They are not just freaking out that they might die here. They were willing to die. But they hoped that if God would permit, they could live one more day to shine the light of his glory to this unbelieving nation of Babylon. Like Joseph, just like Joseph, if they, if they stayed alive, maybe other people could be saved too. You remember how that, how that reads in the Old Testament? That God saved Joseph to save many people. That's why he kept Joseph alive. So Daniel knew that Solomon's prayer of dedication in the temple, so this is in your notes. This is super interesting, guys, because even in, as Solomon is dedicating the temple, God is showing him that he was gonna, there's going to be a rebellious people who were not going to trust in the Lord. They were going to turn away from the Lord. And look at what God says. Forgive your people, that's what Solomon is praying, who have sinned against you and all their transgressions, that they've committed against you. And grant them compassion, the word is compassion or mercy, in the sight of those who carried them captive. Daniel, remember, these are teenagers, just a reminder, these are teenagers who knew the word. They knew what God had said. And so already they know to ask God for compassion and mercy in the sight of those who carried them captive. But why? So that we can have compassion and mercy on our captors. And you and I have trouble praying for an unjust boss. God, could you give us mercy and compassion in the eyes of our captors? Why? Because we're living on mission for your redemptive glory. Would you, would you be merciful to us so that we can show them your mercy? Well, where are they getting that? Well, they're just getting that from the Old Testament version of the Great Commission. In other words, even though we're in exile, we still want to live for the Great Commission God gave us through Abraham. And it's in your notes, Genesis 12, 3. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, in this legacy of Abraham, and in walking by faith in the promise of Messiah, all of the families of the earth shall be blessed, including these big, bad Babylonians. If we're not connecting our day-to-day trials and triumphs to, to God being glorified through redeeming people from every ethnicity on earth, we're revealing that we really don't understand why we exist. So, Parents, you know, a lot of you come to our youth meetings, just so you'll know, that's the series we're, take, we're taking the kids through right now, is, is uh, we call it the plan, finding your story and God's story, because we want them growing up to know why they exist in God's redemptive plan. What is, the, what is our purpose as believers? 
Because when you don't understand the purpose of something, I am so not, I am, I am mechanically declined, right? And so many of you are mechanically inclined. I break everything. I'm the breaker of all things. <laughs> I, I, if you don't understand the purpose of something, you misuse it. How many of you have tried to hammer a nail with a screwdriver? Don't raise your hands. I just, I forget to say, don't raise your hands. Um, but if we don't understand the purpose of something, you misuse it or you break it or you worship it instead of God. So let's look at this. If you don't understand the reason for marriage, you're going to misuse it, break it, or worship it. If you don't understand that it's to display the redemptive purposes of God and that once he saves you, he'll never let you go. You're, not, you're, gonna, you're gonna make marriage small. You're gonna make God small. And God wants to give your marriage more grace and glory and dignity and light than you could have even imagined when you see it in redemptive history. That's why it exists. If you don't see parenting in the light of its gospel purpose, if you don't see the local church in the light of its gospel purpose, if you don't see your vocation or education in the light of its gospel purpose, you will misuse it or you will break it or you will worship it. Verse 19 says, the mystery, so they prayed and God answered. The mystery was revealed to Daniel in the vision of the night. And before Daniel does anything else, this was convicting to me. He bursts into praise and prayer. I probably wouldn't have done that because I'm really interested in saving my skin a lot of times. I mean, really, what would you have done? God shows you the dream and the interpretation. How many of us would have put on our track shoes we're out the door, <laughs> right? Oh, what, what about praising and thanking God? I'll be honest with you. I think church after church after church, I think we do this every Sunday. God speaks to us. And we don't do what Daniel does here. It had been so easy to take the answer and run away from the Lord just to save my life just to get that best life now. But I guess that's like the, ten, the nine lepers, right? Ten lepers, they all were healed. The nine lepers get their healing and they run as fast as they can away from Jesus. How many of you live your, your life with God like that? God blesses you and you just take it and run. And you get further and further. You, you take your miracle and you go further away from God. But there was one. There was one. And do you know the text says that he comes back and he throws himself at the feet of Jesus. And the text said that his thank you and that his praise was a louder volume than his request for healing. Verse 20. Blessed be the name of God forever, to whom belongs wisdom and might. Verse 21, he changes times and seasons. 
Now, he's praising God for his absolute sovereignty, isn't he? Where we are right now, whether, it, whether we're in trials or triumphs right now, it's because God is wise and God is powerful and God is purposeful. And he right now, both in my personal life and in redemptive history, is accomplishing his unstoppable purposes in us and through us. He removes kings and he sets up kings. All of history is moving toward the first coming of Christ as it would be seen here in Daniel's day, as well as for us knowing he's coming again. And he gives wisdom to those who need it. Just ask, are you in need of wisdom today? And he wants to give it to you so he can move you forward in mission and ministry. He wants to give knowledge to those who need to understand. Verse 22, he, he reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what's in the darkness. Why? I mean, you see so many New Testament references in this because the light dwells with him. Just think of the first chapter of, of John and the darkness could not overcome it, right? He's the light of life. Verse 23, to you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked of you. For you have made known to us the king's matter. This is Sinclair Ferguson in his commentary uh, on the book of Daniel. Listen to what he says. It's in your notes. The test of our spirituality does not lie in the fervency of our prayers in the time of crisis but in the wholeheartedness of our worship when God acts in grace. Wow. Get me on my face, why don't you? That's why I said one of the most important moments of our church service is the conclusion. Because it's the time when we should be going to God. Moms and dads, I just would encourage you to develop a discipline of, of before we just go and talk and care and minister to other people, and we should do that. But first, children, we've heard from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords today. Let's stop and thank Him. And you take your little ones by the hand, and you cause them to have to... to first of all, they're, they're learning some things just by your behavior. You're breaking some generational practices by doing that. Because that's United States Church. Amen. Let's, this, our, my old senior pastor in New Orleans used to say, Amen, let's beat the Baptist to the cafeteria. What, what would it be like for your kids to grow up to see dad and mom, maybe even with tears coming down their face, saying, we don't deserve to hear from you, God. Thank you for speaking to us. God, you know how afraid I am of what I might hear from my boss tomorrow. Thank you for helping me remember that you hold the future in your hands. And your hands were scarred with nails to prove to me that I'm going to be okay. And dear God, would you help me be a witness to my boss tomorrow, even if he fires me? even if he lets me go. Sometimes we wonder, why, don't our, why, why do our kids leave? It's because we, we're, we're religious. I, I think we wouldn't want to admit that. But I think we're just as religious as a lot of other people. 
man, what happens if parents bow down to the living God with their children? I mean, I'm not saying that every Sunday your kids are going to go. A lot of times your kids are going to be going, Johnny's over there running around. Can I go run around with Johnny? Your witness as a parent is cumulative. No one failure is going to doom your kids. No one success is going to guarantee anything with them. God wants to give you cumulative grace in living in a disciplined way that could cause them to remember, oh man, you know what I remember? Dad and mom didn't just hear the word of God. They bowed before God, thanking him for it because of how much they needed to hear from him. None of that is in my notes. I hope that was for somebody today. So he speaks to us when we gather. So Daniel, then after he's praised God, he goes to Arioch and he said, don't destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me to the king and I will show the king the interpretation. Arioch brings him in and he tells the king, did you notice a little self-glory here? Daniel is the one initiating all this, but Arioch goes into the king. Hey, king, I found him. Right? It's... You know, come on, give me some some credit here. But can you imagine him having to say, it was one of those exiles. It wasn't one of our Babylonian men. It was one of those exiles. And so he calls Daniel in. So we see that God is sovereign over all earthly powers and Daniel gives him the dream and the interpretation. Verse 27, he says, no wise man, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show the king the mystery that the king has asked. But God. And so Daniel is just exalting God. He's a God rich in mercy. He's a God in heaven who reveals mysteries Why? Because he knows all things and he controls all things. And he is even now moving all of redemptive history for the glory of Jesus Christ and the godly good of those who follow him. Did you know that Psalm 119, there's some differing views of who wrote Psalm 119. One of the thoughts is that Daniel, God used Daniel to write Psalm 119. Well, look at what Psalm 119.46 says. This one could give a little credence to that thought. It's in your notes. I will also speak of your testimonies before kings and shall not be put to shame. What a great example for us, right? Don't be ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation. And Daniel's living that out right in front of our eyes. This God not only knows the future, he's decided the future. He's determined the future. This God controls the future. He's accomplishing his purposes. So verse 29 and 30, God made it known to me, not because I am great, but because he is great and he is merciful. So God made known to me the things that are going to happen in the future. And you saw the phrase latter days or last days. Really, the last days began with, with Jesus. That's when the last days began. So, so this passage is pointing to the first coming of Jesus Christ. And so he talks about that giant fearful statue made of different metals. The head was of gold, which Daniel says was Nebuchadnezzar in his kingdom. And then there's silver shoulders and arms, bronze. And bronze was at the chest and the thighs, iron and legs and iron mixed with clay in the feet. And, and it was one statue that represented four kings and kingdoms with the last kingdom divided into two. So I think it's important not to say that it, it wasn't four statues. I think there's a real accentuation here that these, it's just this 
this rising and falling of kingdom after kingdom and the one God who oversees and superintends it all. It's not, it's, I think if we put it out in four different, four different statues, it'd be easy to think, well, yeah, you know, some people just mess up politically and economically and militarily and, and someone else takes over. No, no, it was one God who raises up and tears down and brings in this stone, this mysterious stone, which shouldn't be mysterious to us. It's, 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 it's likely, just from history, meaning that kingdoms were Babylon, the Medes and Persians, the Greeks, and Rome. But more, than, more important than that is not whether we get each king and kingdom right, but that God was ruling over every king and kingdom and is the cause behind them rising up and the cause of bringing them down. We've got to look at our, our situation with our government today like that. God's the one in control. He raises up and he tears down. Even more important, and to be more amazed about the stone that was not cut by any human hand coming forth that is eternally more powerful than all of these other kingdoms, even combined, and who would lay them low and who would establish an everlasting king and an everlasting kingdom that every knee would bow down to. And those who flee to that stone will find it to be a shelter from the storm of God's judgment. But those who reject that stone, it will fall upon in righteous judgment. I've got to stop and ask, where are you today? Are you seeing Jesus as the rock that is the only sure foundation to build your life on? And your need of being saved in order to build a new life on that rock. If you don't, don't believe in your need for that rock to be saving you. There's coming a day that that rock will crush you. In the judgment that your sins deserve. Turn to Christ. Turn in faith to Christ. And this stone isn't just going to it's not just going to come in and knock down the statue. The stone is going to become a mountain that ends up covering the entire earth and it's going to be made up of redeemed people from every ethnic group on the planet all praising the name of the one who saved them from their sins. Look small at the beginning. Guys, don't despise small beginnings. It's unbelievable that this small stone could topple every other kingdom just in the way that it was hard to believe that a baby born in a, as, uh, to a virgin in the shadows of Caesar and Herod could be the conquering king. The only thing kingly about him was a crown of thorns he was wearing that you and I should have worn as part of the punishment our sins deserved. He dies the death of a guilty sinner. He looks nothing like a conquering king until the third day. And he rises in victory on the third day, conquering sin, death, and Satan, and establishing his kingdom in the hearts of those who trust him, and commissioning them to now seek his global glory in people being saved from every people group on earth. And he will come a second time to once and for all establish the fullness of the kingdom. And His glory will cover all the earth, won't it? 
Verse 31 says the kingdoms come and go by, they don't come and go by accident or evolution or education or wealth or military might. They come and go by God's design so as to show the world there is only one King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And you guys, as much as, this is what's, what's a little bit, we have to be careful how we read this narrative because it's just easy to think, well, that was a message for Nebuchadnezzar. Was it really for Nebuchadnezzar? How about you? Isn't this really a word for you and me? I get that idea from John Calvin. Look at, look at his note here. This is from his commentary. This was done not so much for the king's sake as that the remnant of the faithful might have some comfort and support in the great upheavals which still remained for them and indeed were imminent. You ought to be almost smelling the the smoke from the fire of chapter 3 next week. For they had been promised redemption and the prophets had extolled in magnificent terms that single benefit of God so that their spirits might have failed amidst the great changes that were taking place. Therefore, the Lord wished to support their minds so that among all the upheavals and agitations, they might stand firm and wait patiently and quietly for their promised Redeemer. Aren't we living in incredibly changing times, upheaval, Politically, morally, nationally, internationally. It's a time it seems like chaos is reigning, immorality and godlessness is reigning, it seems. And the God of heaven gives us the book of Daniel. He reveals mysteries in words of prophecy. He tells us what is going to happen in redemptive history so that you can have peace. Regardless of what you're going through, you can have peace and you can have faith and you can live for the reason God saved you. You don't have to, don't, you don't, you, you, you don't have to misunderstand your purpose. You don't have to misuse or break or worship what you were made to do because you misunderstand it. Listen, Daniel's life was not going to get easier. Just to cut to the chase, as we're going to see, in spite of Daniel's faithfulness to God and, his, his, and to his Babylonian bosses, Daniel's life only got harder. So guys, we, this is where we've got to kind of put in a little bit, a, 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 <laughs> big boy pants, I was going to say. Increasingly growing into big boy pants. I don't even know how to put it. I just think a lot of us who've gone through a hard time kind of go, I'm glad that's over. And then we get upset because we have to face another hard time. I'm trying to remember the man. Who was the, the man that God used to do, start Christian orphanages? What was his name? George Mueller. George Mueller. Do you know George Mueller's wife? had a horrible illness and uh, they prayed and they prayed and they prayed and miraculously God healed her only for her to die of a different disease a couple months later. You know what his outline for her funeral service was? The title was God is good. God was good to give her to me. God was good to let me be married to her for the time I was 
and God was good in taking her home. God is good. And the, you know, we always God is good all the time. You know, I just sometimes I want to get somebody by their collar and say, how do you know God is good all the time? It's not just this groovy religious phrase. You know how we know God is good all the time? Look at the nail-scarred hands of Jesus. That's how you know. That's how you know. From what we can tell through the book of Daniel and in, in history, Daniel never made it back to his hometown. How many of us are just kind of go, well, I'll, I'll, do, I'll, I'll do my time in Midland. <laughs> Which I wondered about. I'm 28 years here now. You know, and, and I've, I told the Lord, Lord, if you want me to buy a burial plot here, I'll do it. Because this is about the coming of your kingdom. This is about your glory. This is about my life being lived on mission for you. And Daniel needed reminders of this grand redemptive plan of God and the part that he was to play in it. So I just would ask you this, what kingdom are you living for? Are, are you living for just today? Are you, are, you, are you just living for the kingdom of make America great again? And I'm not meaning anything disrespectful to former President Trump or people, none of that. But we ought to be praying for a Holy Spirit, scripture-saturated revival in our nation where countless people would be saved and countless missionaries would be raised up and countless pastors would be trained and, and, and that we would once again move all of those people into other nations so that other ethnicities could be. What kingdom are you living for? How you answer that really is going to determine how you inter interpret. Remember, here we go. This is how we'll close. It's going to determine how you interpret your troubles. It's going, to it's going to determine. So what happens at the end? We get a glimpse of the coming day. Did you notice Nebuchadnezzar falls on his face? And now he's doing that in front of Daniel. But I think what we're supposed to remember is that there's coming a day, isn't there? When every knee shall bow. And every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Let's pray. Joshua, you want to you come up? Go ahead and come on up. Oh, Heavenly Father. I, I just, maybe on behalf of all of us, I want to I ask forgiveness for the, for the ways we've made you too small in our eyes. So many of us have missed out on the wonders of marriage and parenting and employment and education and ministry and, and, and just because we've reduced it to just the 24 hours we're living in. It's no wonder we so misinterpret your purposes and we, we so get upset when we have to go through suffering because it all just seems just, oh Lord, we want to know why we exist. And that's to bring you glory in your plan of redemption, locally and globally. And that our marriages would exist for that plan. Our parenting would exist for that plan. Our employment, our education, everything that we do would exist for the glory of the one true King of Kings.
who knows all things, controls all things, and is unstoppably moving all things forward to see Jesus exalted in every ethnicity being represented around your throne for eternity. In Jesus' name, amen.